Joining me today on Eyes Wide Open is Graham Moore, a man who proudly describes himself as an Englishman and a constitutionalist, believing in the law of the land, the common law, a belief in the principles of freedom first, freedoms that no man, no parliament or no court can take away from us. Despite facing what appears to be an insurmountable challenge, Graham charges forward with what for me is a unique angle on what's really going on in England and beyond. Now, I say England, but before discovering Graham's work, I would have said the United Kingdom or Britain. I don't think I'll ever use those terms positively again, though. Graham has provided me with a giant piece in the jigsaw to understand what's really going on in our home, England. Until recently, I would never have identified as English, mainly because I didn't know what being English meant. But thanks to Graham, I understand that's largely due to the propaganda campaign against the English by the British. So today, Graham will tell us his story of how he became an English constitutionalist and a common law champion against the British Union and how we can use the largely forgotten English constitution as the solution. Graham Moore, otherwise known as Daddy Dragon, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, we met briefly during the Save Our City uh, anti-lockdown protests in Liverpool. Um, I think we got arrested on the same day, so we didn't get a chance to... Uh, you know, chat much further than that. Yeah, so I'm really happy to um, discover your work again and have you on the show. And before we get into the meat of it, can you tell us what you were doing before you embarked on this constitutional crusade and what you were doing in your previous life? Well, the direct answer to that is um, I've got a number of trades, uh, but one of the things I was previous to this was um, an engineer, an internet engineer uh, called a Tier 1 uh, where I provided uh, engineering services uh, to one of the largest companies in the world, which basically built the internet. Um, various things back going back in my past, but uh, I left home when I was 14 years old, believe it or not, uh, lived on the streets, started work on a building site at 15, uh, had, a, had a window cleaning round when I was 16, had a child very early um, and stayed married for 30 odd years. Um, so lot, lots of, I've got what I would say, uh, an association with what I describe as real working class, including the fact that I'm also a tradesman, a carpenter, um, and that, and, and, and the reality of being English and then seeing the pressures over at least the last 35 years where we've been losing and losing and losing and losing all of our rights. And I've started studying the constitution uh, 30 years ago, including the Archibalds going through the laws uh, and, and, and then looking and reading history at school. I was, I didn't really, I didn't really like history to be honest with you, but I did find that once you read history and you go to the archives, not, to what someone's opinion of history is, but when you actually read the real history and then obviously uh, reading about the Declaration of Rights, reading about the Magna Carta, reading about the, the Bill of Rights, reading about all of the elements of our constitutional law and why they was put in place, what you can see is you start to bring history alive and talk to people about that. Um, you, you can see history is repeating itself. So the basis of it is um, I had a f fairly normal upbringing. My father um, has always, believe it or not, voted Labour, even though he owned his own factory. 
um, and he worked in the factory as well. He was on the laves as well. He was a tradesman. He was taught his trade uh, by my granddad, and he taught me that trade as well. So again, and that's as a metal spinner. So again, family background has always been a working background, and, and and it just progressed from there. But my interest in history and constitutional law comes from the research when you start to realise where did it all come from. So when when did you become when did you become Daddy's Dragon? And what was the you know what was the the, the event? What was the moment? What led you to begin this adventure that you're on now? Well, it's funny you should say that because people always ask me, "How did you get the name Daddy Dragon?" Uh, I didn't name myself that. The people that have started following and listening, I was on Facebook before I got banned, like everyone else. And all I'm doing is talking about constitutional law and the English. Um, and then someone sent me a law book and in it, um, so let me just explain where the daddy dragon comes from. The, dra the dragon is the original flag of the English. The white dragon. The white dragon yeah. is the original flag of the English and that was the standard that was taken into battle, etc. The original flag of England is the dragon. So what someone then did was sent me a book and inside that book it said to Father Dragon because he was referencing me talking about the English and the dragon and you know again if you go back in history you'll see the oldest one of the oldest regiments which was disbanded in 1964 was from Kent and it was called the Dragons um, and again it was disbanded by the British in 1964 it went back centuries I think it's an apt name though isn't it you know it's an apt name for uh, someone who was championing this cause the Dragon of England you know and um, you describe yourself as a constitutionalist rather than a nationalist which i think is a really really good way of um avoiding that that um label right so tell me about the distinction between constitutionalist and nationalist and the english constitution the common law what it is and why it's important right so the, the, it's really important to understand so let before i get into where and what and why i'll give you an example of, of a person who is a constitutionalist uh, and that is Winston Churchill. He stood in 1924, um, and what what he said with ten others is basically that all the main, he walked away from the mainstream parties, and he said that all the mainstream parties were seeking to destroy the English Constitution. And he said, "I'm going to stand as an independent, as a constitutionalist." He won his seat in 1924 as an he independent, as an independent, but as a constitutionalist. But people knew what a constitution is, was then, right? So it's about liberties and freedoms. What happened um, after that, and, and to explain constitutionalism, the constitution is about the law of the land. Um, there are, so that you have the common law. So let, let me just explain to people where common law comes from. Common law comes from customary law. So in Liverpool, for example, if you had a custom in Liverpool, and everyone uh, adhered to that local custom, it's customary law, right? And it can be used in the courts. And you can say this has been a custom for, of, of Liverpool since uh, time immemorial, it, what it's known as, right? If it's such a good law, so it comes from a village and then the custom spreads to a town and then to a city and then to a county, if it's such a good law, it could be adopted by the English Parliament because they say, well, we think everyone should know this because it's a great custom and a great law. 
and then they adopt it becomes as it spreads it becomes common law and then if it's adopted by the parliament it is it becomes a if you like constitutional uh statute common law constitutional statute yeah. right so yeah. Um, there are many of those, uh, and again, I've got a big list of them that you'll see. So, uh, so a custom, once it's adopted on a national level, will become a constitutional law via a constitutional statute. Correct. Yeah. Right. So, and again, what the so, so the constitution is about your liberties and freedoms, uh, but again, it doesn't have to be in statute. It could be common law. So. Let me let me just explain that there is there is a group of laws or a set of laws which is called the law of tort, mm -hmm. right? So, if someone, for example, was to say something really bad about you, uh, libel you, or or slander you, where they actually say it, and, and there's a record of that, and you can say that's caused me damage, you would use the law of tort, yeah, to get recompense for the damage against you, right? So. There is a whole set of English law going back hundreds and hundreds of years, and and that's what and that's what you would use. And I'll give you an example. Uh, today, for example, people shouldn't be using judicial review; they should be using the law at all. If, for example, someone was coercing you into doing something you didn't want to do, or to ingest something that you didn't want to ingest. Uh, and they was coercing you and there was no informed consent on deliberately not mentioning what it should be. You therefore have a tort against them people, right? Um, and it's very be recorded as precedent in the courts. And that's what we would rely upon in order to enforce our rights. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, again, you've just hit one of the, one of the major words. So in common law, we have precedents yeah. and they are set either by the house of laws it used to be or the supreme court once that ruling comes out it is the law of the land mm -hmm. right that's the common law a statute is does not become common law and it doesn't really become law until a judge interprets that law that is the common law the judge's interpretation of reading the law and how it applies to you is the common law Right, complete opposite to Roman law. So you could have a statute that doesn't comply with the common law, and therefore it's unconstitutional. Exactly that, and and and, and that is the basis of the Madison case in the United States of America. We've actually had them at a local level, them, them cases. <clears throat> but what people have got to understand is the common law uh, con con controls the statute, not the other way round. And you've only got to go and look at. Uh, a ruling, uh, for example, by Lady Howe, where she actually says, just because something statute doesn't mean someone, had, if, if they've done something by statute and think that it's okay to do it, um, it still may be a tort, and that person could still claim damages against you. The, the statute doesn't um, give you the right to injure somebody else. Um, and, and that's the important thing about it. But yeah, precedent is really... Uh, very, very important because it is, and again, people don't realise it is judge-made law. Um, so it's the judges. The problem that you've got is, and again, this gets in a bit more detail, but the problem that you've got is that they, ch the British changed our constitutional way of selecting judges. Yeah. So what did they do? 
Um, they, they created the Constitutional Reform Act of 2005, and that led on to the Supreme Court, which is unlawful, because our legal system is in the House of Lords, not in the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. um, and what they did was then they created a political way of appointing judges. Was, was the Supreme Court Act, uh, which established the Supreme Court and disconnected uh, us from the House of Lords as the court of last resort, where um, constitutional yeah. statutes like the Magna Carta, etc., could be used by us, the people. Was the Supreme Court established to block us from uh, finding those legal remedies? Yeah. So, um, again, let's just kick back into that. Yeah. You just mentioned the Magna Carta. Yeah. The Magna Carta of 1215 was the first uh human rights declaration in the world right mm -hmm. and it comes from the english it's not british it's english right it wasn't used for somewhere in the region of 200 years um in any form in any court until sir edward coke put his hand up and said under english law the magna carta is still law mm. and we are intending to use it. And he started to reintroduce it because tyranny started taking hold of the country. Right. And the Magna Carta was then reintroduced into law. The most recent ones where it's been used, I'll give you an example, was uh, Diana Rose used it. There was a big union uh, issue. And she actually said, uh, the Magna Carta says this, and she won her case. Um, uh, you all remember the renditions of uh, Iraqis to certain areas or whatever, and the British government uh, were torturing these people in, in Saudi Arabia, for example. Uh, they was taken to court in London in the English High Court, and the, and the Magna Carta was brought up again. And again, they won their case, and they was awarded £1.8 million in damages. So when people say uh, it doesn't exist, it does exist. Now, it's, you've got to be clear to people, the 1215 uh, Magna Carta, is still in existence and people argue with me all the time no it's not is it not on the statute books though right so this is what you've got to understand yeah. the original magna Carta was outside was never of the, the jurisdiction of of there was no parliament at that time right, right. It, it was it was an, an agreement a declaration um sealed not signed um and it become part of the law of the land. So for Parliament to then come along and reconstruct it and then start repealing bits that it wants to repeal, it doesn't affect the first 1215 Magna Carta. And anyone who says it does, nine out of 10 times are British. Roman law has a doctrine, which means that um, a, a, a newer law repeals, if you like, the last law, blah, 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 blah. Uh, that isn't in effect no. with the English, right? And you cannot repeal the common law. The common law is the common law. The only way uh, in which you can, a, ju a judge or a series of judges can sit there and they can make a decision, it's very rare, but they can make a decision and say uh, that this common law judgment is wrong. It, it, was, it was wrongly uh, heard or wrongly uh, a, a wrong precedent was set and they can change it um that's the only way it can be done so again people need to understand that there's a big difference in in our legal system the english legal system protects 
the individual against the state. Mm. It was there to protect the individual against the monarchy, uh, an absolute monarchy. And the, and the foundation document for that was the Magna Carta, which forms a, a series of other documents, customs and traditions which make up the English Constitution. Now, it, it, isn't it said that the English Constitution is unwritten? Doesn't that need a bit of definition? That, that that's a, it's a good question, and there's an argument on both sides, right? The easiest way to explain this to people is that in America, uh, the American uh, War of Independence wasn't caused because they wanted to separate from the crown as a colony. It was it was caused because the English stood up and said we want the right same rights as an Englishman, right? That's what it was caused about. Right. Uh, that's what. And again, remember, when when the Mayflower left in 1620, the people aboard that craft were English. British didn't come about until, uh, you know, 100 years later. Right. Well, actually, 1606, 1607. And I'll get back and explain in parts. So getting back to um, what, what it what. So what is it and a written constitution? People often say we haven't got a written constitution. We have. Yeah. It isn't codified in the same way as the Americans' constitution because we as a nation developed it over hundreds of years with, with statutes, but it is only a constitutionalist would understand how them statutes fit together yeah. and why the constitution is it is. What does it mean and why is it better to have, uh, if you like, an unwritten constitution in terms of how it all fits together the answer is that because as times change you can change but there are certain things you cannot change the bill of rights you cannot change and what the british did was they removed um the constitution from the curriculum so they stopped teaching the kids about it in the early 1970s and they removed it from the bar exams to judges and barristers didn't know anything about it. They become British or Soviet, what I call Soviet judges. Mm -hmm. They represent the state. They don't represent you as a person or, or the majesty of England. Mm -hmm. they, they now represent the British state. So people often ask me, why did they do that? And I said, you've only got to look at what happened. In 1972, we went into the European Union. It was illegal. It was unconstitutional, and the Bill of Rights clearly said that. In the Bill of Rights, there is a clause, a paragraph. It is called the Supremacy Paragraph, and in that paragraph, it is clear. No one can govern us. Nobody governs the English. We govern ourselves. So they knew it was unlawful. What did they do? They removed it from the curriculum. They removed it from the judges and, and, and old, older barristers knew what it was there for. So the second element is how did they attempt and how do we know that they were so wrong was because they created the European Communities Act of 1972 and made it law. Why did they have a referendum in 1975? Because they had to correct what they had done wrong and then the media and the British, uh, call them what you like, bureaucracy, deep state, uh, establishment, not the people of England, they created con people, right, into in, in forcing it over. So um, 
again, they wouldn't have done all that unless they knew what they'd done was illegal mm. uh, and it was legal. Okay, so um, one of the central planks of your argument is that the British are distinct from the English and that the British Union, better known as the United Kingdom, is, um, is the biggest enemy we and other nations around the world face, but particularly the English. Now, I've never heard that argument before, and it, it struck a chord with me in the head at a meeting. I thought, whoa, that's like a grand unifying theory that makes sense of a whole lot of holes in the story. So to avoid confusion and to help anyone that's not heard this angle before, can you tell us who are the British and how are they different from the English? Right. The easiest way to describe this is the British uh, are the slavers. The British are the cl colonists. The, the British are the imperialists, right? So the first thing to explain to people, if they say they talk about the union, we don't want to split the union up, right? I'll get back to that in a couple of seconds, but I will say this. The unification of the crowns, the majesties, that means Scotland, and England took place, took place in 1603. It is not affected by what we're discussing now, which is independence for England, right? What then happened in 1706-1707 is the supranational state, they created two parliaments put together to, to create the supranational state. Like the EU. No, well, it's the same as the EU, it's the same as the Soviet Union, yeah. it's the same as... You but the supranational state of the colonists was what the British elites created. And England became, and so did Scotland, became a colony mm. of the British Empire at that time. So Britain is relatively new, a relatively new entity. So Great Britain is an island. So, so that's what you've got to remember. We're not, we're, we're, we're um, we're part of Europe, but we're not of it, right? That we, we have uh, oceans that surround us uh, rather than land masses. It is key to remember that being an island, we created, and the majority of people lived in England, right? We created our own economy. We created our own, own sets of laws. Uh, and the key element to this is Great Britain is an island. There is no one disputing that Britain is a place it is and there's no different to the island uh, and i forget what it's called now but it's in the caribbean just for example there is an island that contains two nation states dominion republic and then you've got haiti right um one of the, one of them is a capitalist and doing very well for itself and the other one is socialist and not doing very well, well for it fairly obvious that there is a, a a massive problem over there so again, it's not an unusual thing to have an island that shares two separate nations and two separate cultures, right? Which is what we've got with England and Scotland, right? Um, we're not suggesting, and I would never suggest that I don't like the Scots, that all of the you, what you see out there um, to do with blacks, whites, um, even parties to some extent, um, it's, it's, it's all a construct of the British. What they've always done everywhere in the world is they divide and rule. Yeah. So they create a situation where everyone's fighting each other and then you're not looking at them. Yeah. And what we're saying is you need to be looking at them. 
right? So getting back to the to, to that situation, uh, and it is most people don't realise, but it was the English that stopped slavery, and it was a guy called Granville Sharp. There was a very famous case called the Somerset case, twenty second of uh, June, seventeen seventy two, and basically there had already been an earlier ruling by uh, a chief justice in England called Sir John Holt. And he had already coined the phrase uh, that English air is too pure for any slave to breathe, must free the black, right? And, and what was happening was black people in the colonies was getting back to England because they knew that in England they were not allowed to be slaves. Our, our common law forbid it. In fact, if you go back all the way to the 600s, yeah, uh, the year 600s, if you was to sell a villager into slavery, your forfeit was your weight in gold, right? So at the end of the day, there was always laws there to protect against slavery. It is different to uh, the villainy and, and the lord set up and, and, and serfs in that sense, right? push this forward what happened um that case the somerset case the unintended consequence of that case which and by the way granville sharp was an englishman he was white he was working class he was a tradesman and guess what people he was a layman <laughs> law and yet he brought the people together he found slavery abhorrent. He helped the blacks. There was about 15,000 blacks who had made their way to this country, right? Meaning England. And they were freed, basically. As soon as your feet touch English soil, you are no longer a slave, right? And then they don't teach you about this history because they don't want you to know. This guy, Granville Sharp, has actually got uh, in the um, African Museum in London, a plaque to his name. Uh, he's actually buried in, in, in Fulham in London. There's a tomb uh, with where he's buried. He was the one. Now, the unintended consequence is over the next 80 years, that case was being used in America. As a right? precedent. Now, yeah, it had set a precedent. Yeah. Um, let me just say this to you, Lord Mansfield, um, took three terms to give his judgment, kept getting in touch with the slavers, who just one of them just happened to be a British barrister, right? Uh, get, kept getting in touch with the slavers and saying, you don't want to do this. I think you should just let the slave go, basically, um, because it, it, there's potential that my judgment is not going to be what you're looking for, right? And they carried on. They insisted that this uh, Somerset was their slave, right? And the judge made a ruling. And the, and the ruling was free to black. Um, now, Granville Sharp chased uh, the ship that tried to take him away, used Haber's corpus as a writ from the English courts to get him off the ship. He was strapped to, with his hands behind the mask. They took him off the strips and took him back into London. Now, the point of all of this is we have been vilified as racists when we are the people that stopped slavery, not the British. The British wanted to carry on. People don't realize there was two elements to what was going on. There was English law, which was English common law, 
but the clock that the colonies which were being controlled by the british yeah the british establishment they had colonial law and it was the colonial law that was clashing with the english common law and the in the end the english common law said we're not having this anymore you can't do it right and, and that is again after some time i believe about 80 years in the end there was a civil war in in 1860 which basically freed the slaves but what you had was loyalists in america to the british crown that wanted to continue with slavery and you had if you like english constitutionalists that didn't want to do that so would you say that the british then we could maybe define them as um the city of london bankers and bank of england which was created to create fractional reserve banking is it that group is it that you know colonialist yeah. empire so are the british you, rather than you know because we need to, i think the definition is really important who are they is it the city of london well they're not me and you put it that way so what you what you've got is a group of people um that over centuries their families have built up wealth they have become the elites they see us as slaves and whether we have got chains on our ankles our feet or whatever it is to become a slave and whether you be black white brown or yellow yeah i don't care and you've become us you have become they have created a form of enslavement via debt right if you go back to the original magna carta right it doesn't say in the original magna carta that the it mentions the city of london and and their financial rights and privileges but what the magna carta does is say those rights should be extended to all towns villages and cities throughout england right. who has taken that away from you the british because every county in England should have its own bank. Where you so you should have one in uh, Lancashire. Because that that protection that, that protection for the city of London that's in the Magna Carta isn't that one of the few articles that remain on the statute books that specific one. Not only is that correct, uh, and and we're not worried about the statute book because we can always we can we, if the British have repealed something, the simple way of solving all of this. And you void the acts of union what gave the british their power right it was the acts of union of 1706 and 1707 that's what created a british parliament right all we do is void that and then people say but you're destroying the union and you say no you're not because the unification of the crown is left intact because that happened in 1603 what you're doing is doing the same as what the Russians did and said, we will not stand for a Soviet state anymore. You will not control the Russians. You will not control the Ukrainians. You will not control with your way of doing things. And that's what the, so the British were the people who installed the Soviet Union and, and as it was. Let me just explain something else to people because I think people don't realize this. I'm English. Go and have a look at the British Nationality Act of 19, 19, uh, 1981, right? Mm -hmm. It tells you, by law, you are now British. They have illegally mm. removed your identity as an Englishman and a Scotsman and an Irishman and a Welshman. 
Someone needs to say, who was the last person who did that? Mm. Joseph yeah. Stalin. And who created so, the Soviet yeah. Union? <laughs> People need to start to see exactly what they're doing. And, uh, and that's, so, so getting back uh, to the original question of what, what is it? Who are they? You've mentioned the Magna Car. It is really important for, for people to understand one thing. The Magna Carta didn't say that the City of London has complete control over all financial It didn't say that. What it said was the, the City of London can keep its financial privileges, but we, the Magna Carta and the people, are extending those privileges to every county, to every city, every town and every village. That's what it said. So we, ha we have the right to coin our own currency as well as the City of London. Listen, that's exactly right. And it's what they've done in America, yeah. right? Because yeah. we, so what we've got is a situation in the United States of America. And don't forget, America adopted our constitution. It adopted the English common law. It adopted all of the elements, including their Second Amendment. Their Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, was a pre-existing right. And, th and there's evidence of that. There's, that. You've got Supreme Court judges in America actually saying that. It pre-existed the Bill of Rights. The B Bill of Rights reaffirmed that right, that you have the right to self-defense. So, again, uh, people don't realize what it is that the British have done. Let's just talk about, you can talk about any element of this. The right to silence. They've taken your right to silence because it used to be you have the right to remain silent. Yeah. Now it is, if you remain silent, a, a, an inference can be drawn against you by a court of well, law. That's not the right to uh, remain silent, is it? You know, I, I got arrested recently at, at um, the protests and uh, the anti-lockdown protests, and that's exactly what they said to me. You know, they said that you have the right to remain silent, except if you do, an inference will be made against you, and the jury might rule against you. And I was like, well, not the jury or the judge, you know, whatever. But the point being is that that can't be a right to silence, can it? Because if you if you say, you, you know, you, if, if you don't say anything, we're going to find you guilty because you haven't said anything, then they've removed that right. So who, so who took yeah. it? And, and the answer is, it wasn't the English because we haven't got a parliament. They've, that, they, they have created the British supranational state by these two acts. How could they, how could they take a common law right away, though, if it's um, an inalienable right? Where, where does their authority come to do that, or is it just illegal? No, it's, a, it, it, it's, it, it's illegal. The problem we've got is that the British, mm. um, and, and, and especially these elites in the, in, the, in the background, are training people through the universities in law to be told that Parliament is sovereign. Yeah. That is not what the Bill of Rights said. The Bill of Rights forbid Parliament being sovereign, and, it's, and it forbids an absolute monarchy. We are sovereign. Is this during the Glorious Revolution when this new definition happened? Yeah, yeah. So the Glorious Revolution, by the way, there wasn't one uh, declaration. There were about 10 uh, in told, right? But if you actually go and read the real history in the archives, you can, you can see exactly what they were saying. That's what they don't like. Mm. They don't like the fact that you're not putting a British taint on it 
which is what the British have been trying to do. And what they then did is they took the declaration and they made it statute and they brought it into, a full, into force with, so the, the Bill of Rights of 1688 is still in full force. All right. And, and let me just say this to everyone, the words all and singular, right? That means all of the rights. You can't take one and it not affect the others. So all and singular, those rights are still there. They're still valid to this day. It says forever, um, three times in, in that one uh, uh, document or one law. And, there, and, it, and it says uh, in, in this kingdom for all time to come once, right? Uh, isn't so it, just, just to clarify, uh, isn't the Bill of... Sorry to interrupt you, I just want to get more, more detail on that. Is, isn't the Bill of Rights the important thing to understand about the Bill of Rights, that our rights to bear arms is enshrined in it? And we believe... Uh, well, we're led to believe that that is no longer uh, an act that we can rely upon. Correct. Yeah. And that is that is unlawful, what the judges are saying. You need judges to stand up. What it also says in the Bill of Rights is you have the right to keep and, and bear arms for self-defence. And it says, as allowed by law. What they've done is taken that one element from the statute and said, well, we can create a law that says that you've got to be licensed, you've got to be this, you've got to be this. They're not allowed to do that. The, if you go back and read the declarations and the debates at the time, as allowed by law means self-defence laws. So if someone is attacking you, you have the right to self-defence and you have the right to discharge a firearm out. Mm. That's what as allowed by law means. It's actually written and you can read through the debate about it. They was more worried at the time that we'd have guns and would be nicking their game. <laughs> It was more one worried about us shooting their deer and their rabbits and, their, and, their, and the hogs on their land than they was because everyone knew that murder, it, you're going to get hung for it, right? But you do have the right to self-defence. So once people understand that, um, and I may say this to everyone, um, at no time ever has any statute ever forbidden um, your right to self-defence. Uh, previously, one other party put into their manifesto the right to self-defence again. Um, and the person who can allow you... So let's say I was uh, uh, standing as a police commissioner, an elected police commissioner. I tell the chief constable, you shall issue a firearm to that person and you will give them... So for us... Once you get your independence back again, your passport, your English English passport, becomes your firearms license. The right, the right is enshrined in the fact that you're an English citizen or an English subject. Right. So let's get you know now you're in 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 elements of this. There's something else called the Act of Settlement. The Act of Settlement is more is even more powerful uh, of 17101. Even more powerful, still English. Uh, than the Bill of Rights, because in that it actually states that the laws of England are the birthright of an Englishman. British have took that away. There is a paragraph in there, I believe it's paragraph seven, that was repealed. The Act of Settlement is a constitutional statute. It cannot be repealed. Who is it repealed by? By the British, right? And the, if you reverse engineer everything they've put in place bit by bit, by bit, by bit, yeah, the British have taken every liberty that you was entitled to. It isn't gone forever. We're just waking, waiting for the English to wake up mm. and say, 
now we can see what you're doing. And by the way, English law protects everyone on our soil. If you're black, white, brown, yellow, the English constitution protects you all against the state. And that's the crucial thing. Never get involved with this racism BS because it is a construct of the British mm -hmm. to divide and rule. The only way we win is when we come together under the constitution. And you're going to see that in America, mm -hmm. right? Um, the most important thing, there are many constitutional documents and it gets back to our original part of the conversation uh, about a written and unwritten. Our laws go back centuries and centuries to 927 and beyond, believe it or not, because you've got the customary law that kicked in before that. That is all part of what we do and it's different. So uh, again, people need to understand um, the act of settlement is crucial. Uh, because uh, the 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 British have tried to give us a little gives a little bit of background on what the Act of Settlement is and, and what it does. The Act of the Act of Settlement basically, um, uh, and again for the people who uh, I just want to say this before I start. Right, um, the Act of Settlement had to be brought in because the Protestant line was about to end. So Queen Anne and her descendants, they had to bring a, a way in of keeping the Catholics out, right, of all forms of power. And, and basically the Act of Settlement was do, did that. And, and, and to a large extent, it still does, except they're ignoring it yet again. So before anyone says to me, um, so you don't like the Catholics, right? I was married to a Catholic for 30, I'm a Protestant. I was married to a Catholic for 30 odd years, right? I've got no issue with Catholics. I don't believe a Pope in Rome should have any control over me as an Englishman, right? I don't believe in many, so we reject um, laws from foreign nations having control over us. It's a civil law that, isn't it? I mean, that's where the, you've got the two streams of law in, in England. One is the civil law and one is uh, common law, civil law coming from Rome. Yeah, yeah. so the civil, again, and civil law uh, people need to understand it's not difficult once you actually get taught this. And by the way, they used to teach kids about this. They used to have something called civic classes, right? And then when they got rid of the civic classes from uh, comprehensive schools, yeah, um, the only schools that still had it were private schools and um, grammar schools. And then you see the attacks on the grammar schools and, and, and getting rid of grammar schools but you had the cleverest working class kids in grammar schools being taught constitutional history. You can see their attacks and it's all about attacking the English and, and really the working class. Remember who the Fabian Society are. The Fabian Society were created, the, who, the Fabian Society uh, founded the Labour Party, but who created and funded the Fabian Society? Were it the industrialists? Who were the industrialists? The Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's that's a. Before we go on to the Fabians, because that is a question I want to discuss. But yeah, let's take it back to the Act of Settlement. Why that's so important to um, our understanding of how to reclaim the English Constitution. The reason why it's so important is because they set up rights for the English and the Englishmen and women. Right. Um, 
it set it it set a set of rules up, and some of them rules, for example, was how many. Uh, and I'll give you an example where there's a current breach. I think there's something like 195 ministers of the crown that sit in parliament. If you're a minister of the crown, you 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 become part of the privy council. Mm -hmm. And in effect, the proof, that means the crown is in part is inside Parliament, and and you're doing the bidding for the crown well, as as the Privy Council. And are you, are you saying that the crown is the British? So let, again, that's another good question. People often ask me this about. So so the British have removed all of the crown's powers. The crown meaning meaning Her Majesty, uh, and meaning the Majesty. Right, so whatever monarchy is, have not assented to a law um, since since eighteen forty nine. But now, if you go and look and see what happens, do you mean the power of veto, the, the, uh, assenting? Do you mean uh, a statute that's been delivered by Parliament? The sovereign has to finish it with the assent consent. Yeah. yeah. So assent is they agree, they 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 sign and they assent it, and it's brought into law. Right. But no, no monarch has assented to a law since 1849 because the British, and I can get back and tell you when it started, yeah. right? The British have taken all the monarch's powers. So what we had was separation of powers. Yeah. The monarchy, we had parliament, and we had the judiciary. Like America's constitution still protects the separation of powers, doesn't it? Correct. Yeah. And what the British have done, have removed the separation of powers and brought them all under... The United Kingdom, British Parliament, which is tyranny. So it's a, you know that the, the separation of powers is there to prevent tyranny. That's the whole point of it, isn't it? So when it comes right. back together under one, then you're you're under a tyranny, which is what we're seeing yeah. now, yeah. because there's no one out there protecting us, and that's why we've started talking about constitutional issues and constitutional rights, and it's coming to a fore where some people are saying, "Hang on a minute, um, you can't be doing this." So getting back to the Access Settlement, um, there are many, I think there's been three repeals of it. Again, they shouldn't have repealed it. We'll put it back, we'd put it back in its entirety. Um, the only way you can change something that is constitutional is if you take it to referendum uh, and the people vote on it. And then you'd have to tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. The problem we've got is that who controls the media? Mm -hmm. Well, the answer is British. Ofcom. <laughs> yeah. Who, 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 who is Ofcom? It's, it's a it's, it's a it's a British entity. Yeah. They're all there to protect themselves. Remember one thing, everyone out there. Remember one thing. Once you void the Acts of Union, every bad law that the British ever set up under that Parliament is torn up. Everything. And remember what happened to the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union disbanded. They didn't. Leave they didn't leave the UN. The UN said, who is going to represent the states and the smaller states? And Russia said, us. And they said, you can carry on. You're going to... And they will say that to us, right? The UN will turn around to us and say, um, do you want to represent England? And we'd say, yeah. And then we'd say, but we have provisos. By getting rid of the Act of Union... The United Kingdom would be disbanded. The nations that are within the United Kingdom would become individual sovereign nations. Yeah, and the English Parliament, English Constitution would return and the British would be, you know, just a, a footnote of history. 
Yeah, exactly that. And, and, and that's what they're so terrified of because they they have tried to steal mm. from us our nationality. Mm. Tried to steal and morph our identity as them. That's why people get confused when they say, well, I'm British. Yeah, I was confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, if you go back and look at what happened to the Soviet Union, if you called a Polish person a Soviet, today you'd probably get a right hand up, mm. right? If you called a Russian a Soviet, they, they don't, if they say, I am not a Soviet, that was a construct of the Soviet Union. And who helped put it in place? The British. Mm. So once people get to realize that, so getting back to what you've just said then, what happens if you disband or, or, or you void, and it must be void, the acts of union? I can tell you exactly what happens. The counties take their power back. You go back to a decentralized system. You go back to independent bankings of the, each county. The power of the city of London becomes almost mute because they'll have competition from every county. Mm. A flat rate tax system that you, 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 and, and you put it to referendum and you say to people, that's it, it's in the constitution, that's what the tax system is. You need to defund socialism. You need to defund communism. You need to defund fascism. All three are forbidden under the English constitution. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's move on to that subject because that's quite interesting. Um, you know, hearing you talk about socialists and how pernicious socialism is, um, being from Liverpool, you can't escape socialism. It's like the identity of the city, but most Liverpoolians have got no idea what it even means. They just think it's, you know, an anti-Tory uh, position. Um, and it's, it's most exemplified by uh, Liverpool FC's slogan, Scouse, not English. Yeah, which came yeah. about as a defiant retort to the Thatcher government who attempted to destroy yeah. the city. Now, being a Liverpool fan myself, you know, I, I, I thought it was a, always a brilliant, rebellious statement and a position to take. However, now I believe it's just the position of the Fabian socialists who run the British state, and it's symbolic of the subjugation of the English and by proxy the, yeah. the rest of the, our Celtic brethren. So I now think English, not British, might be a better, more rebellious turn of phrase. But um, I think it highlights the uh, lack of understanding of what it actually means to be English. You know, and yeah. um, this massive propaganda campaign headed up by the British occupation. So can you give us a little bit of insight into what you mean by socialists? and this idea of the Fabians, because I know the Fabians like the slow march through the institutions as opposed to the Marxists who want a revolution, a violent revolution, because um, that, that's going to jar with some people, you know, uh, trying to understand what socialism means in context of what you're talking about. Right, so so the easiest thing, the easiest way to describe this um, is, to, is, is, to, is first of all, let me make clear to everybody out there, and I want to make this absolutely clear. I don't consider myself left or right. I am a constitutionalist. I believe in the rule of law, the law of la the land, and that we are all equal under the law and God, right? That's that, I don't, so th the next thing that you've got to understand about this is the British 
every single party in the British Parliament is is British, whether it's Labour, it's it's it's, it's a one party system. It's a Soviet system. People don't realise what it is. The Tories are actually socialists. It's an illusion of democracy, isn't it? In order to think we've got a choice and we're not living under the tyranny. Exactly that. It's an illusion of democracy because the people that are controlling it, you, you, it's an illusion, everything that's going on. So let's just talk about the Labour Party first, right? Now, I say certain things to people and I'll get people that would be described as on the right calling me a commie mm. right <laughs> and i look at them and i'll just say why because i've said one comment so i care about people right so people have to understand the labor party are really split between three groups of people you've got people that are in effect fascists you've got people that are marxists and you've got people that are communists they're all outwardly uh under under the red flag if you like um you've then got people like uh, the liberal democrats and by the way nearly every single member of the liberal democrats are fabians right um the labor party if every one of tony blair's cabinet bar one was a fabian every labor prime minister in this country has been a fabian member right they've all been fabians Sadiq khan is a fabian an executive member of the fabian society Keir Starmer is an executive member of the Fabian Society. The Fabian Society are Marxists, right? They even say on their website, if you look at their emblem, it, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> yeah. they, they can't make it more obvious <laughs> yeah. what they're doing. Mm. But they have what's known as a gradual, and, and the Fabians was a gradualization. So they nick a bit, nick a bit, nick a bit, so you don't notice. The problem is some of us are noticing and things are speeding up at the moment because they know they're in trouble. Karl Marx actually said um, that every communist revolution uh, has been shipwrecked on the Rock of England. He didn't say the Rock of Britain. He said the Rock of England. Common law forbids marxism fascism and communism why does it because it has a doctrine within our legal a maxim if you like which is um restraint of trade mm. monarch is not allowed and therefore the government is not allowed to create a monopoly they are not allowed to do that they are not allowed to tell you you can't earn a living right and it comes under the restraint of trade doctrine. The last famous person to use it, um, uh, football player. Oh, Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney. Rooney. Yeah. Wayne Rooney. He used it, yeah. right, in the Supreme Court. There was a ruling against it, right? So um, people need to understand that this law is there to protect you. So the next element is to understand, and by the way, the Tories have also got Fabian Society members within the Tory party. That are committed marxists mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. they went to the london school of economics and got their degrees in in politics which is funded by the fabian society which is funded and was funded by the rockefellers so people don't need to understand where this is coming from um but see see for, for me it's like um socialism marxism fabianism i mean that's a a, a, 
an economic ideology and their you know their opponent or what they seek to destroy is capitalism that's that is the yeah. uh, overt expressed objective of socialism and, and communism why would they want to destroy the common law and the english constitution because because the common law and the English constitution for, for, so let me just make sure this is people are aware of this the the socialists the communists the marxists the fascists all seek as part of their doctrine to control the means of production you yeah <laughs> not capital yeah. you right whereas capitalists if you're if you're grafting um and you're earning a few quid and you save some money up and you've got your little pot of gold there and then you decide well i'll tell you what um i've earned that money from selling eggs now i can afford to go and buy 10 more chickens and you reinvest that money which is your capital you've worked for it right uh, you're selling going to the market and selling the eggs you're coming back and you say now i've got another now all of a sudden you've got a bigger pile of eggs right and then you reinvest and reinvest and reinvest right mm -hmm. that's a free market economy everyone needs food you've put the effort in and the work in to create that business and you're extending it to the chickens and and then you build a big chicken out and then you create breeding and and you're doing all these things and your business starts to thrive you know that that is a free market economy that is capitalism what the socialists are saying is no we take seven of your 10 eggs and we distribute them amongst people who are poor well that means the person who's he's only got three eggs left and he can't continue building because you're taking his capital away to do so you're taking from one group of people and giving it to another now a lot of people turn around and say yeah but it's only the rich getting what they what they're seeing at the moment in this country is the british yeah. are doing not the english and let me just say this to you the trusts the real english trusts the real equity law of england and the real charities of england yeah are what real capitalism is about if i go and earn a small fortune and I decide, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to set a trust up and I am going to donate that trust to this charity to look after the homeless or to do this X, Y, Z, or to look after people who are less fortunate than myself, right? That's the way the system should work, not forcibly doing it. So go and have a look at, um, there was, um, who was the last leader of the uh there was two brothers leader of the labor party oh, um Miliband. Miliband's. well one of the Miliband brothers just happened to go to america oh, guess yeah. what he's, he's running a charity yeah. he's on four hundred thousand pound a year yeah. right that's your that's your that's the labor party that's, that's golden the parachute isn't it that's his payoff for, for what he did while he was in parliament for all the scams he was operating while he was an mp that was his payoff yeah. yeah so again this is all the british constructs and people need to understand it so getting back to what is socialism yeah. i consider socialism to be if you really want to not the ideology but the vision that they try and 
deployed to people is you care about someone or you care about another individual. Don't matter whether they're black, white, brown, yellow. I'm not interested in any of that. I care about them people. Mm -hmm. If I see someone who's homeless, I don't want them to be homeless. But what they've done is created this system and all you're ever going to do with that, like I said, um, it, it's, a, it's a bit look like looking at bricklayers on a building site. If you have five bricklayers and four of them can lay each lay 1500 bricks a day, right? Going some, but that's that, that can be done, right? And then you've got one bricklayer that only lay, lays 500. Yeah. Now what the socialists say is, well, we're not going to put you on price because that'd be unfair to the geezer who's only laying 500 bricks. You'll all be earning 600 pound a day and he'll only be earning hundred pound a day, right? So the socialists say, we're going to put you all on a day rate of 200 pound. So what happens? The other four bricklayers who can lay at 1500 bricks a day all say, that's cracking. We're only going to lay 500 bricks. We're not going to build. So everything starts to go in reverse. Yeah, the incentive's been removed, hasn't it, for performance or to perform at your best. Um, I think one of the reasons why communism is, is so embraced by the working class, by the poor, right, is because it's sold to us, the working class, as a, a method, an ideology, a means, a mechanism to overthrow the um, landowning elite, the capitalists who are exploiting the people at the bottom, and it gives us the means to overthrow them. Yeah, I think that's why it's been embraced by the working class, but I, I, I believe that to be a con, to be a scam in order for them to be able to, to, to win our vote, as it were. Yeah, and all, you're, and all you'd be doing is no different to the Soviet Animal Union. Farm, no you're just putting someone else in to chop your head off. You're just putting someone who's going to be worse, I may add, right? So the best system is a capitalist free market economy. And let me just state this for the record. A capitalist free market economy, I am not talking about you going with a begging bowl to the city of London saying, can we have a loan here, please? And they give you, you know, 30% interest and tear, yeah. tear you a new one. I'm talking about if you live in uh, Liverpool, then you would go uh, literally literally to the Lancashire Bank that everyone in that area is paid into, and if they see that you have a viable business plan, they will loan you the money. Mm. If you're doing something for England, and it is an infrastructure project, for example, that would benefit England as a whole, yeah, they could turn around and say, well, actually, we're going to present this for a treasury money award, right? Uh, which is basically um, the, Brad, the, the Bradbury Pound, the, the, the um, uh, Currency and Notes Act of 1914, which is how they funded a war, mm. right? So, again, Guernsey used it in 1851, uh, Liverpool Notes Act in 1795, I believe it was, right? So... It doesn't cause inflation, and you're not, and you're not giving whoever it is that controls the banking system their corner. They don't deserve a corner. If you listen to some of the libertarian thinkers, like um, Hans Hermann Hoppe, uh, German libertarian, really interesting guy, he he says that we don't have capitalism because capitalism is free market. 
is there is no government force manipulating price, manipulating interest rates, all those things. It's a free market. So when government steps in to control the economy, you automatically um, default away from capitalism so that we don't really have it. I mean, that's one of the arguments that they make. And, you know, it kind of makes sense to me as well when I look at it a little bit more deeply. So, you know, why would we trust the government to manage the economy? <laughs> I wouldn't trust them to run a bath. <laughs> You know, exactly. yeah. and, and that is the situation. So that guy is exactly right. He's what he's saying. Let me just let, let me just touch on a very you know, it's con, uh, a controversial subject. Right. So we're talking about free markets. Mm -hmm. Free free markets also means that you protect your own market. Yeah. Protectionism yeah. is part of a free market economy. And the reason for that is if you get someone like China that can flood your market with steel and it's going to put because they operate as almost a slave labor system in china and they can put your own steel industry out of business right then you're entitled as an english government to say um, we need to adjust that figure mm. you there is a tariff on your steel and it will stop them right uh, the same as if you turn around and looked at the English Channel and you said to the French, and I'm going to give you another example of this in a couple of minutes, if you said to the French, you haven't stopped these illegals um, illegally crossing the straits uh, and coming over into England and landing on our beaches. So what we're going to do, we're going to put a 50% tariff on all French goods. And that means Peugeot and that means Citroen. Yeah. And, and, and what's going to happen there? Yeah. And Renault, what's going to happen? Well, all of their goods, 50% minimum. And by the way, if it doesn't stop a week later, we're going to add another 10%. So is it 60%? Well, there are, there are no tariffs and globalism, Adi, for that reason, you know. <laughs> right. so, so what you do is, what happens then? The, the French have to, and people often don't see this the right way. They think we're going to pay. We're going to pay. 60% more for their goods. It doesn't work like that. What happens is suddenly that Renault, yeah, instead of being a 10 grand car, becomes a 16 grand no car. No one buys it. Right? And no one buys it. But what happens? The French say we have to lower the profit to compete against the tariff, right? So what happens then? They lower, they take 60% off to bring their vehicle in line with a 10 grand again. What happens then? Well, all these other countries turn around and say, well, actually, we're going to import that car, yeah, at that tax price, yeah, and it means that Renault go out of business. What happens then? Renault turn around to the French and say, stop, the, stop them traveling across there them getting in the boats because you're putting us out of business right that's how the tariff works if you want to know if it works in the 1980s we had the same situation with an argument between denmark and germany and they put their tariffs up to 90 percent on german vehicles right how do i know that because i used to buy the vehicles from denmark at, at, at the because I weren't paying duty, we give them the codes for the car, got right-hand drive delivered to this country, and guess what? We was getting cars at a massive discount to everyone else, right? So all of a sudden they said, we've got a problem here. You're gonna put you're gonna put Mercedes and BMW out of business, right? Because Denmark said, we're not accepting it, 
right? That's what happened. Who else did it? Oh, who's that guy? Oh, President Trump. I believe he actually said to the Mexicans, no, you'll be paying. Yeah. You're going to be paying for this border wall, right? And how did he do it? He simply said, there's tariffs on your business. And he kept increasing, right? Until in the end, what did they do? They put troops on the border and they stopped them and they sent them back. They went to their other borders and said, you're not letting them through. Mm. There will be no more caravans. Yeah, it was a powerful right? tool, wasn't it, that he used while he was in his presidency, not only against Mexico, but more, most effectively against China. You know, that, that trade yeah. war, you know, was really damaging to China, but ultimately it might have been what lost him his, uh, his presidency. So what's, so, so what's the next thing that the Constitution and what we deliver as England. Yeah. I'll tell you what we do, right? They have destroyed the dignity of work, mostly in the north of England. They have taken our steelworks. They have taken our shipbuilding. They have taken our coal industries. They have taken every industry where we as Englishmen worked in to provide for our families, and they've shut it down for globalism mm. and they handed it to china and the european union mm. where's our car manufacturers they're all gone what did blair do this this sacred person of labor he sold rover for a pound to his pal right so what i'm saying is as england we give the dignity of work back we we restart our industries we're not interested in having a war in afghanistan or or with Russia. And by the way, Russia's our friend, mm. not our well, enemy. that's the British Empire, isn't it? That's uh, engaging in uh, foreign wars and destroying other people's country. It's, you know, it's not the English, is it? Although the English generally get blamed. Um, so just before we, we move on, um, I just want to resolve this socialist, the socialist issue because I think it's important. So, um, so what you're saying is, is that um, there is a socialist um, coup, if you like, via the British and um, socialism opposes the English constitution, the common law, and um, the things that are contained within that because it prevents socialists and socialism from yeah. achieving their goals. Therefore, Great. those things must be destroyed in order for Marx's vision to be realized. Yeah. Great. And also there's something else you touch on, which I think is important that we are surrounded by socialist governments. Not only do we have socialist parties in the UK, well, in the British Parliament, in the illegal occupation of the English Parliament, but we have them in Wales, Clyde Cymru, the SNP, um, right. Sinn Féin in Ireland, yeah, and then the actual EU itself is one big socialist organisation. How can, how can um, England hope to overcome such, um, such an all-encompassing enemy yeah the answer to that is look back at your laws uh, i always use uh, and i use quite often the united nations declaration for indigenous peoples we are protected uh, via the un uh, you can't you can't have uh, um they want to rely on certain un laws and not others the 2011 indigenous uh populations declaration protect us uh we have a unique culture a unique legal system um and the answer is we don't need we are the sixth la england 
is the largest, sixth largest economy in the world, right? We are just waiting now to bring back our industries, to, to build our ships, to do that. And, and we will be in export. Um, we will bring back our, our navies. We will bring back our military to defend the nation, not to go out and attack like a bunch of mercenaries, uh, these other weaker nations. That's not what it's mm. about. Um, but I want to say this just to make sure people do understand the point of this. The United States of America is not uh, the great, it, it is the greatest nation on earth, right? And it, it is not is the that, largest land. Is that due to, the, to England's greatest export, which is our constitution? Correct. Look, just look at the logic of it. How did America become the greatest nation on earth? And it was because they adopted the common law. They adopted the English language and they adopted our way of commerce. And the basics is the free expression, uh, freedom of speech, uh, the freedom to invent. That's how they become the greatest nation on earth. And it's not because they're the greatest populace. It's not because they're the yeah. greatest landmass. It's because they had the greatest constitution that was ever given to anyone on this planet. And it was a free export from England. So, so it, wouldn't you say that the Americans are facing the same challenge as the English right now? Because, um, you know, it seems we've got quite a radical socialist government in there at the moment with, you know, the Democrats and Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and all those absolute lunatics who are in charge of America. I mean, aren't the Americans facing the same challenges? Like, a, it's like a British coup, if you like, of uh, America. It it's exactly what it is. They are being attacked by the English. You've only got to look at the steel dossier and other elements. You've only got to look at who's controlling uh, the machines, the voting machines. Um, everyone is looking at China at the moment, the, the, the actual culprits. And let me just say this to you. Uh, the re when we started coming under attack as England was when they lost the colony in 1776. The British lost that colony in 1776. The Americans who were English standing up for the English rights. They was attacked again in 1812. Who helped them on both occasions? The Russians, right? Um, helped the Americans, not the, not, yeah. not, not the British. And then the third attack has been all the way through, culminating in, in 2016 when they started to attack President Trump. And why? Because they knew he was a constitutionalist. He loved his country and he could not be bought by the British. That is what's good. And they need, the globalists mm. need to destroy America. And I always say this to people, we and our constitution, England, is the beating heart of the United States of America. And we, and what they've done to us, is a blueprint of what they're doing in America. And you can see it transferring out there as we speak. Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, tyranny... Um, kind of is defined as the government being able to change the laws upon a whim without respecting the rights of the individual. It depends what mood the tyrant is in, and that's what the law will be. So we see that in um, countries where maybe the Roman civil law is in place, is that there is no protection from precedent and common law. And we kind of have seen it manifest during the COVID operation in that um, wearing masks is not mandatory. There is an exemption, and the exemption yeah. is the respect of the common law. 
because I went to Correct. Portugal recently, yeah, and there is no exemption there, right? You wear the mask, there is no exemption, right? Because they're under Roman civil law, yeah. So, um, while common law exists, there'll always be an exemption to tyranny for yeah. people who want to yeah. object to it, stand up to it, and they will have the, the legal rights to be able to do it. So, is this the motivation? For our enemies to destroy, you know, these yeah, these I, constitutional I protections. The biggest protection, because common law jurisdictions, tyranny. it's all over the world, isn't it? It's it's you know, it's, it's in India, law, it's in Africa. There's a common law jurisdictions everywhere. That the most important element of the common law is a jury. Mm. A jury nullification, mm. right? Because in common law. If you're standing in front of a judge and you turn around and you look at your peers and you say, the, the government say I've done this and the judge turns around and says, well, the law says this, so you have broken the law, yeah? You look at your peers and you say to your peers, would you have done the same in my shoes? And if they come back with a not guilty, yeah? It's called jury nullification. But doesn't that mean it's I, like, you know, I was I looked into that a while, it was like the jury nullification. The jury is the fourth branch of government, uh, the one that's not really, you know, discussed as such. The fourth branch of government yeah. and the jury has the power to nullify bad yeah. law. If it's a statute that's right. bad law, the jury can ignore it and think, no, we think he's innocent. Exactly that. And let me just say this to everyone. Why do you think now when you go to a magistrate's, all of these uh regulations that they're bringing in mm. um the various elements and you can't do this and you can't do that and it's a regulation right just think about this why are all them regulations done in such a way that you don't get a jury Star chamber, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. Mm. um okay and um, just one more question in relation to this um what the hell was brexit all about was brexit uh, move by the British Union to um, consolidate more power away from the EU, or was Brexit an organic thing by the English in order to try and release ourselves from the yoke of the EU? I, I am always surprised why they allowed, um, and, and I believe there's a particular reason for it, why they re allowed that referendum. If, by the way, the English have never had a referendum in terms of um, independence, etc. Scotland's had two, uh, Wales, I believe, had two. I think even Northern Ireland's had two yeah. national referendums. The English, We've had zero. Yeah. Right. So the, the direct answer to that is um, they knew that if we, the next stage of the European Union was full military union, meaning we lost control of our military, full fiscal union, meaning we went into the Euro, uh, and they knew that we had to, that, that, they, they couldn't do it by just signing us up to it, that they had to have a referendum. I think they were shocked uh, at the result, and the result, I believe, it was probably a lot more than what they said. I was actually at the count uh, in Dartford, mm. and 75% and come in and said, we're leaving, right? Um, I mean, some of the faces I of the British it, MPs were just, you know, classic. Where they, they were, they were shocked. They were white as a ghost. They couldn't believe yeah. that it had happened. You know, which makes me think, yeah. to some level, it was organic. That it wasn't, uh, it wasn't their yeah, plan. Yeah, no, I agree. Mm -hmm. 
But the next element of this is to say to them same people that voted for freedom, mm. you need to vote for England. You need to vote English. You need you need to take back control and remove the British establishment, the British elites, and and their slavery uh, and colonization of England. But it's, it's, it was so demoralized as a people, right? It was so demoralized in trying to understand what is our identity. That that's why I think your message is so important, and this information is is so uh, is so powerful because it remoralizes you. Um, it's like, but what do we do? Right? So okay, we've talked about what the problem is. You know, we've talked about who the problem is, but how can we as individual Englishmen work together? to win back um, our constitution, our parliament, our rights. What activism is required from us as individuals? I mean, what is it that you're doing on the ground, Graham, that people can get involved with? Well, I've, I've been going to the stand in the parks and I do constitutional talks. Um, I've never failed yet to get an applause. Um, we have now registered the English Constitution Party, the first time ever. Is this a political, anyone... a political party that will stand in elections? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's now been registered. Um, I had to fight the Electoral Commission uh, over it, and, and we got registered. We are registered. Um, we have now set up, again, uh, the Limited Company 4, and, again, they didn't the, the British... Uh, uh, company's house wouldn't allow us to register a company with English in its name. Amazing. Uh, Unbelievable. Uh, we've now succeeded again with the threat of legal action. Uh, we've now succeeded and we've got the English Constitution Party Limited. Um, for the first time since Churchill, people can vote for England and vote for an English uh, parliament, a real parliament, not, de not a devolved parliament. And if the people of Scotland want real independence we'll stand candidates there and we'll give you independence so what does the oh, english constitutional party have a manifesto yeah right we don't believe in manifestos okay. manifestos are a construct of the british divide and rule uh 90 of what's contained in manifestos is uh either a lie a con or uh, and and these people just don't do it what we've got is five strict policies uh, the first and um, primary policy is complete independence, not a devolved parliament, complete independence. So it doesn't, it, basically, we're saying the British, you're finished, mm -hmm. right? Everyone look around and, and look at the mess we're in and, and you just say, you caused it, you're gone, right? The English are taking back control of their nation. So from a, a level of uh, local activism, there are two elements to what's known as universal suffrage. Universal suffrage means voting rights. Uh, we have voting rights. Um, we've just given you a political party, which is the English Constitution Party. There's two elements. There's, on the one side, what's known as uh, active uh, um, suffrage, which means a voter. So if you was going into the box and putting an X, you're the voter. The other is a passive suffrage, but they are two hands uh, of the same party. You need candidates, passive, uh, the passive element of suffrage, for the people who want to vote. Now we've given people that. So now, again, it's all registered. What we're doing now is going around the country, doing the stand in the parks and talking to people. Obviously, there's a big freedom issue with what they've been doing with 
um, the, uh, let's just say the yeah, virus. Yeah. Um, and what we want to make sure of is that we're uh, getting this message out that the English constitution and the common law forbids what they're doing. And the only way you can protect your children and you can protect yourselves going forward is is to is to go back to that situation and, and we'll do that. so um the english constitution party would see the devolvement and disbanding of the united kingdom um wouldn't it be in our interests to uh, form an alliance with our celtic brethren in scotland wales and ireland to uh, rid ourselves of the yoke of the british is the a union of some kind to be had with our Celtic brethren, because unions are good, no? I mean, how, how does a union work in our favour, in our sovereign favour, rather than being um, swallowed up by a supranational um, organisation? I, I, I agree with you entirely, which is why uh, there are a number of Scottish people who have spoken to me about standing in Scotland for the English Constitution Party. Um, they want to be friends as a brotherhood of nation, as we describe it, um, it doesn't affect the Commonwealth. It doesn't, in other words, the Commonwealth still exists. You just add three different nations to mm. it. Um, it's a bit more awkward for us in Northern Ireland. There's a lot more mm. that you have to do to get registered in Northern Ireland as a political party. Um, I, I have no doubt that the loyalists and the people don't understand the difference between a unionist and a loyalist. A loyalist is, is, is in Northern Ireland, the original loyalists, are loyal to what give us the, the, them their protection, which was the Bill of Rights and King William, right? Um, so unionists, we're not interested in, in terms of when you talk about unionists as the British supranational yeah. state, not interested. The unification of the crowns existed in 1603. That continues. What we're doing is taking and removing the cancer of the British imperial colonial system away, getting rid of it, and then saying, right, let's start this again and we'll move forward uh, and the whole world will be a better place. Getting back to the Scots, uh, the Scots love um, the idea of independence. The problem you've got with the SNP is they're socialists. The problem you've got, you've already mentioned it with Plaid Cymru, is they're socialists. The problem you've got with Sinn Féin, and if you've only got to go and have a look at the IRA's Green Book, which is their constitution, uh, and it says and it tells you they're sworn to socialism. So they're, they're, they're always going to... They're, they're, you need another group of people that set up in Scotland as real independents. People in Scotland want independence from the British. They don't want to go back into the European Union, uh, like the socialists do. Interesting. Um, okay, uh, finishing up. Um, people who are currently facing um, harassment and persecution by the British state um, during this illegal occupation and what we're seeing now, especially as the ramping up the tyranny with the COVID operation, how can people enforce their rights in court? Because aren't the courts, haven't they been um, taken by a foreign occupying power? I mean, how can we enforce our rights? How do we win in court, Graham? The easiest way to win in court is to use the law at all. Um, uh, in, 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 the same, in, the, in exactly the same way. So, for example, uh, if you was to be forcibly... Um, 
on a video, I don't want to actually say it. If you was forcibly, yeah, 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 let's okay, just, yeah. Right, let's just, let's we just say that, from that you... aren't we? By um, uh, common law assault, yeah. and then GBH if yeah. it causes injury. So you've got the common common law talks uh, of battery. Yeah. You've got the common law talks um, of of assault. Now assault does assault means it's a threat of violence. Mm. Um, you have got the common law. Um, with you, you're not allowed to be coerced. You're not allowed to use propaganda against the people, which is what they're doing. Uh, you're not allowed to say to people, you have the right to say no, whatever happens. It's your body. Uh, you have bodily integrity, and the common law stands for that. What we've got to do is make sure that people out there understand. I've got a couple of letters that I put out uh, to people that went to schools and went to em em employees. We know that they caused them it was all common law, yeah. real common law, uh, meaning precedents from the Supreme Court and the House of Lords. Um, they've got a big problem, and they know it. Um, that's, that's the thing. So the real common law courts, are, uh, and if you like, is the law of tort. Um, unfortunately, uh, we have got a situation, and I will say this, all British judges will be purged from our judiciary when England returns to an English sovereign nation. Um, in the same way, and this is not a, a, a negative, it's a positive, in the same way as when the Soviet Union disbanded, the first thing the Russians did in Russia was purge the judiciary wow. of Soviet judges. And well, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good, it's a good um, comparison as well because there's a fantastic film called The Lives of Others, which shows you um, what happened in Eastern Germany under the Soviet rule. And when the wall fell, when Soviet Union fell, when communism fell, it fell in 24 hours. It was yeah. gone. Right? And that's how yeah. quick it can go, even though it, the enemy yeah. seems like, uh, you know, un 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 unbeatable. You know, it's actually quite fragile. And, and it's funny you should say that about court is that I've got quite a bit of experience at court myself from 2010 to about 2016. And I brought a defamation case in the high court. I brought it myself as a litigant in person because it was being defamed by, you know, communists called me, um, yeah. you know, trying to destroy my reputation. And I brought a are, um, are an action for defamation and a one, you know, when uh, I won in the court and won in the high court. But what's interesting is that's now, that's any case won in the high court becomes a precedent and part of English legal history. So I take some pride in the fact that I'm, I'm now part of English legal history and Eastman versus Ford is always there for uh, posterity. I'll post it in the show description for anyone that wants to have a look at it. But yeah, it is possible for us to win in the courts i just think we need more confidence to do it and let me just emphasize this to people no i have actually read your, your case okay, by the right. way and, <laughs> and i'm really pleased to see that you were the litigant in the person and not only that you won the case and got awarded damages yeah. i believe for ten thousand yeah. pound let me just say this to people yeah it's people like you that are standing up for your english rights mm. you are the type of person that will take back control of this country I want to emphasize that when these people say things on Twitter about us, yeah, they can be sued, right? And and you're, you, you've made that quite evident by doing what you're doing. But the next thing I will say to you is, remember that when you stand in an election and the election has been called and the campaign is on, if you say anything 
about a candidate uh, that is, it doesn't just, and um, let me just make sure people understand this, it doesn't have to be untrue. It can be true that if it is said with malice, yeah, you can be sued. It's actually a criminal offence during a campaign, wow. right? Uh, and people need to understand that. Election law is different to normal law. Mm -hmm. And and if you say something, uh, even if it's true, but you have said it mal for malicious reasons against another campaign candidate, it's a criminal offence, right? So just to make yeah. sure everyone understands that. So, uh, again, English law will yeah. always come through. And again, we just want people to take it up and run. Okay, so let's leave us on a on a on a high grain. This has been a fantastic conversation. I've loved it. Um, what is what what's happening right now with the movement? I mean, where are we at? What's the what's the uh, the good news to share with everybody? The good news to share is the electoral commission uh, registers us as a us as a political party. We've now got our own political party called the English Constitution Party. The only group of people ever started standing as constitutionalists since Winston Churchill. Uh, we believe in the people of England. Uh, so we believe in you. Uh, and that's basically where we're at. We've now created the, for obviously for the legal reasons of donations, we've created the English Constitution Party Limited. Uh, everything goes through there. We've got everything set up. We're ready to go. The first election is going to be South End West, uh, where unfortunately David Amos was murdered. Uh, and we will be standing in that election as constitutionalists saying uh, to the people of South End and the country to give us as much support as possible. Fantastic. Graham, um, you know, I just want to thank you for what you're doing as well, because um, you've remoralised me, you've given me a, a good boost, and you've really helped me to define what it is that I'm, I'm about and who I am. And I'm an English constitutionalist. <laughs> Thanks for giving me that definition. Um, I hope to uh, speak to you again soon, where we can go into these subjects in more depth, because we've only touched the, you know, we've only scratched the surface, really, haven't we? And um, yeah. if you never want to come on and share news with us, that would be fantastic. We'd love to have you on again. Um, so if, if people want to find you, your work, the movement, where can they find you? Right, so the, the, the website is already set up and you can go and have a look at uh, what we stand for and the blogs. And that is www.englishconstitutionparty.com. Um, or you can go to daddydragon.co.uk. Okay. Have you got any social media platforms? Uh, I've got took down on Twitter, but I've restarted it. I had 12,500 followers. Uh, they removed my account. Um, I was on Facebook. They removed my account. I was on YouTube. They refused my account. <laughs> so anything you start talking okay, about England. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay. Yeah. okay, well, listen, Graham Moore, uh, Daddy Dragon, it's been an honour and a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Take care. Yeah, no worries. Thank you.